Hey friends, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this message today. Everything that the Lord shows me is designed to impact people's lives and advance the kingdom in a mighty way. My prayer is that you would be so blessed and so rooted and so established in the more that the Lord has in store for your life. And remember, stay fired up! Great to see all of you this morning. I'm so glad that you're here. I'd like to especially say welcome to all the first-time visitors. Thank you for coming to Rock City this morning. I know you have a lot of choices of churches to go to. With over 350 churches just in Corpus Christi and 800 in the Coastal Bend region, you're here, and I'm glad that you're here. Today we're going to tackle a topic that I believe is very relevant not only to what's going on in society, but really what's happening in the church, and that is a little bit of the topic of mental illness. Now, this is a subject that's very tender. It's very sensitive. I'm not a psychologist, nor am I a psychiatrist. I am a pastor. And I'm not a full expert in God's word, but I'm getting there. I understand the Bible to a certain degree. I spend a lot of time reading it, and every day I'm becoming more and more of an expert. And learning what God has to say about mental illness and how people spin out in their mind and do the things that they do is very important to me. 20% of society is struggling with mental illness right now. That's almost 50 million. 50 million people are sick mentally. That's one in five. I've done a little research. Just Google mental health statistics. That's how I got it. The point is, is people are sick. And nearly 20% of people this year alone will be struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder, phobias, fears, and anxiety that's causing them to run to all kinds of things to mask it, cover it, and not have to deal with it. Drugs, alcohol, addictions. And if you're here this morning and you've been struggling with sleepless nights, anxiety, and head noise, then you're at the right place. It's a topic that not a lot of pastors are probably going to really tackle on a Sunday morning, but I figure while I've got the most people at one time, I might as well go for it, right? Now, let me just tell you that I don't, I don't have some sort of immunity thing that's going on that, that makes me immune to head noise. I don't have this thing that makes me immune to attacks of the enemy. There's a very real enemy that hates me, and the Bible says in Revelations 12.10 that every day and every night, let's say every day day. and every night, he wants to accuse you. And the the understanding of being accused in Revelations 12.10 is that he wants to make you feel like you've done something wrong or you're doing something wrong. And religion plays really well into that lie, doesn't it? Religion plays into the lie and dysfunction that you're not good enough, you're not measuring up. And then we'll come into church a lot of times with our Sunday best on. We put our best front, our best face forward, and we go through the religious motions and religious duty, and we're never satisfied. Now, I'm thankful that you're here, but I want you to become something great, and I want you to be transformed, not just go through the motions of being here today. I have coffee shops. I have children. I have an insanely busy life with so much that's going on, and my mission is to advance the kingdom and see your life transformed, not play church. Because I don't like playing church. What I like to do is show you some incredible truths in the Bible, bring light and revelation to your life so that when you walk out of these doors, your community, your family, your children, your coworkers, your life, the way you live, the way that you believe is transformed. And when God gives me a word, when God gives me some insight and understanding and I bring it to you on a Sunday morning, What I want to challenge you to do is to water it, and when you leave, to build upon the understanding that I've gotten, because I'll get a little bit, but you'll get even more. So my job is to challenge you, 
propel you, to spur you on, to keep you going, to keep you from giving up, to bring you back into a right understanding of the purpose of relationship and community and why we do church, the reason why we love God the way that we do, and the answer that we have to the dysfunction that's in the world. There's a lot of dysfunction surrounding our lives. There's a lot of dysfunction outside of these four walls. People are hurting and broken. 20% of college students, it's the highest number ever of millennials that are checking into mental rehab facilities. People are mental, and they're struggling, and they're having challenges in their mind because of voices. I call it spiritual cacophony. You know what the word cacophony is? It's disorder of sound and harmony in your head. There's no rhythm. There's no peace. The word cacophony literally means to have a mixture of sounds that have no understanding, no rhythm, and no harmony, and they produce a distorted noise. Hence the title of my message, which is Head Noise. And I got the title of this message because I was laying on my own bed not long ago, about a week and a half, and my mind was just racing. I have so much responsibility on my plate. I have so many different things that are going on in my life between the coffee shops, two children, two and four years old, a growing church, a shopping center, my life, my social life, my wife, myself. All these things are, I'm constantly living under a massive amount of responsibility. And if I don't learn to lead with rest and peace in my heart, I'll do it angry, bitter, I'll, I will micromanage instead of empower, and I'll have many sleepless nights without rest in my heart, and that'll be what I portray onto my wife, my children, to you, my community, and everyone that I encounter. But it's a real disorder in the church today. And I can assure you that with this many people, there's a lot of you that can really struggle finding rest in your life and finding peace being able to sleep really well without medication, being able to deal with difficulties and hardship and conflict when our kids don't do the things we think they should do, when our spouse doesn't do the things we think they should do. If you're a full-time mom, which is the hardest job on the planet, guaranteed it's the hardest job on the planet, I can do it for about a, you know an hour and a half. I love my kids to no end, but there's nothing like a mom, I'll tell you right now. It's very rarely ever about you, and rarely do you ever get a moment to yourself. And if you don't have a peace and a strength and a resilience to have long-term vision to see your kids in 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years and understand what you're doing today affects tomorrow, and if you're not doing it with a treasure filled in your heart with God's love and God's empowerment, you won't be able to do it effectively and well. And then in turn, the next generation coming up behind us experienced dysfunction in their childhood because they weren't nourished, they weren't taken care of and loved the way that God loves. Now, I'm going to say a few disclaimers right up front. Number one, I believe most issues that we deal with in society directly stem from the way that we were raised and the patterns and the examples we saw as a child and through our, our uh, adolescent years. I believe that. It's not the case for everybody, and we don't put the blame on anybody, but we take responsibility, and we understand that what we saw, what we were taught, the way we were raised, all affects the way that we believe, okay? It all does. 
If you were raised on Christian TV, if you went to a church where the pastor slept with the secretary and ran off with the money, you, have a, you, have a, you can have a skewed vision of the purpose of church, Christianity, pastors, and religion. If your dad beat you and sexually abused you, when we talk about a good father, a good dad, the connection, the synaptic connection in your mind can be broken. So what, what I want to do is help repair, replace, renew, and fix the broken in our lives so that we can live the way that God wants us to live. But if we don't deal, listen, if we don't deal with what's going on up here and in our heart, if we don't understand what God says about how we mentally get sick and spin out, if we don't understand the word and have a good, good measuring tool of truth, then our belief systems will be completely skewed and you'll get cacophony. Here's cacophony. It's a harsh discordance of sound. You know what dissonance is? The word dissonance means a lack of harmony among musical notes. And we have all kinds of songs and all kinds of sounds and all kinds of voices playing in our head. It's a discordant and meaningless mixture of sounds. Frequent use of discords of a harshness and relationship that's difficult to understand. And we have mental confusion. When you have all this cacophony going on in your head, it can be so hard to find peace and rest. And at night, our mind is constantly wandering. And during the day, in our relationships, the way that we process, the way that we think, everything is affected. Now, I'm going to use a computer term. I've got a couple of networking computer guys here today. Now, I'm not the most brilliant guy when it comes to computers, but I like computers, and I have some understanding. And I began to think about uh, the term CPU. You know, a CPU is actually in the Webster's Dictionary, and it means a central processing unit, okay? A central processing unit is the key component of a computer system, which contains the circuitry necessary to interpret and execute program instructions, okay? If you have a broken CPU... If your central processing unit, which I believe is your heart, if you have a broken heart or your heart has become hard, you won't have the ability to accurately interpret and execute God's program instructions. So today, what I want to do is help you to get healthy, to get you on the right path, to get you back to where God wants you to be so that we can have the most effect in our community when we walk out these four walls, and the greatest effect is with your children. And let me make something clear to every millennial. If you're under 34 in this room, especially if you're in, 20, in your 20s, you're going to be actively helping to raise my children. I have a son that, that's two and a daughter that's four. If you're in your 20s, in 10 years from now, my son and my daughter will be in their early teens. In 20 years from now, when you're in your 40s, they'll be, in their, they'll be your age. And everything that I'm doing is thinking of how I can impart and pass on the baton to the next generation. And I'm only 46. And I love it. I love everyone here that's 40 and over. And what I love about what's happening in this church is it's multi-generational. But I want everybody that's 40 and over to understand something. My vision is already looking to, the, to what's coming behind me. And if I can get it now, imagine in 10, 15, 20 years. I've got kids that never have to experience religious dysfunction. 
I have kids that when they walk in a church and they hear talking about how to manage money and why we give, they don't have some skewed wall that comes up and thinks the pastor is only about money. When I first moved to town, I was living at Bay Point Apartments on Ennis Jocelyn, full of college students. I had long hair at the time. I didn't know anyone. I was walking to the leasing office, and I met some young adult skateboarding. He says, hey, dude, what's up? I'm like, what's up, man? He's like, hey, bro, we're partying tonight. We're going to be getting high and drinking. If you want to come, come on, dude. Maybe it was the long hair that made me look like a pothead. I don't know, but <laughs> it didn't really matter. I said, I said, no, man, that's okay, bro. Thanks for the invite. I said, but listen, I'd like to invite you to church. <laughs> I said, you want to invite me to church? I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. <laughs> now check this out. He goes, what's a pastor? Because there's usually two types of people that are filling up a church on a Sunday morning. Those that have never been are coming back for the first time for a long time. There's a whole generation that's coming up behind us that have not experienced so much of what we've experienced and don't know so much of what we know and never had to deal with the pastor running off with somebody else and stealing the money or church dysfunction. And my children and your children don't have to experience it either. And so what we're trying to do is build a common unity, a community, and a tribe, and a people where we can do life and family, and our kids can come up and go, oh, raising your hands, that's normal. That's what I've always seen and known. Oh, God loves me? I can have supernatural dreams at night? You mean the Holy Spirit is more powerful than the devil, and I can wield all the power and the authority in the world as a son and daughter and be excited about the extravagance of God, and my parents aren't weird about it because it's normal? Stand up. Here is that example right here. She's never been raised in church. And when she gave herself away to so many other lovers and the devil wanted to throw her away as a piece of trash, she got rescued and redeemed and transformed. And she's never experienced ever religious dysfunction. Ever. And she doesn't have to. She's probably seen about it and heard about it elsewhere. But to affect her life purposefully, she's not been through it. And so now she's grown up on fire. She's got a testimony and a story. She left the old, embraced the new. She's in her 20s. She's empowered to become everything God wants her to become. I'm not putting legalistic laws and rules on her about tithing and giving and mandated policies. I'm not micromanaging her. Instead, I'm empowering her, teaching her the importance of following the Holy Spirit. Now, in her finances and in her life and everything she does, she wants to lovingly and easily and joyously give it back to him, and it's not weird. And now she gets to be the example because she's the director of the nursery and the preschool, sitting in church because I've taught her to now raise up a team. Not have to do it all herself, but empower others. Now she's sitting front row, smiling ear to ear and on fire, more on fire than every day she's falling more in love. Let's give her a hand clap. And people walk in and they go, you mean your, chil- your children's director is a young adult with tattoos everywhere? I go, yeah, because she's fired up, she's creative, she's been redeemed, she loves Jesus. And I want that taught to my kids, yeah. Yeah. So we've got mental cacophony, noises and voices in our head. We've got broken CPU systems. Let me define head noise for you since it's the title of my message today. 
Head noise is the mental cacophony that stems from a broken heart or a broken CPU. Or a viral, let me say it another way, if you're a computer guy. A virally infected, it's infected with a virus. And in turn, the, the CPU of our heart, when it gets infected, affects our mind. And we have mental cacophony. It results in the inability to accurately interpret and execute godly instruction due to voices, noises, confusion, lies, and ignorance or a lack of understanding swirling around in our head. Head noise is the opposite of peace and harmony in your mind and life, which first affects yourself and how you choose to believe and live your life, and then it manifests out of your relationships with others, especially, let me give you the number one area, that head noise and mental cacophony and a broken CPU affects marriage. Because it's easy to love somebody you don't live with every day because you get to say bye. (laughs) But when you live with a spouse and sparks are flying and iron's being refined and you have to die because marriage is a picture of God's perfect laying down his life for his bride and the bride fully being submitted to the Lord first. When you understand the purpose of marriage and why God instituted marriage, which is why there's such an incredible attack on marriage today, when you understand the purpose of it, the enemy will work so hard on overtime to destroy marriage because it destroys the heart of God and the reproductive understanding of mother's, father's family on the face of the earth, which is a spiritual purpose, okay? And so the enemy works on overtime, on our heart, on our life, to blind us, to get us to believe lies, and our heads are filled with all kinds of noise. It's one of the greatest areas the enemy works to attack. But God gives us answers. Let's keep going. You guys all right? Okay, now I know it's a little heavy, Revy. Take some notes, write it down, or you can listen to this next week. This is kind of a continuation of the message from last week. God gives us answers in the Bible of how to overcome head noise. Confusion, doubt, disbelief, depression, lies, wanting to quit, wanting to give up, all those things come against me. I'm not immune to it. Instead, I have answers to overcome it so that when it does knock on my door, now because I have been transformed and have something deposited in me because I'm born again and I actually believe what I have given assent to, now I become it and I can overcome it. I'm not just lobbing scriptures out with an I hope so. I'm not just taught to throw some scriptures at it. Instead, I become the scriptures. Now I'm reading the Bible, so I really want to know God's heart, not just to find an answer for something, but rather to become an answer for something. And I want to make sure you understand that I believe that there's one answer for everyone. Everyone. Every race, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every color, there's one answer. His name's Jesus. But I believe that the Bible gives an answer for everything. The Bible gives an answer for everything. The problem is, is too many people are biblically illiterate. And we've chosen to believe, have a belief system about God based on the Christian on the street corner, the family member that was ultra-religious and in the name of God beat you or whipped you or abused you. They were deacons at the church, hot boxing cigarettes and cussing at home and, and closet alcoholics. It's normal in the world. And unfortunately, it's been too normal with too many churches. And so what happens is, is people get warped, skewed understandings about who God is. 
And then we believe and we live lies. And it causes us to go in directions that are unhealthy and not the way that God wants us to go. Head noise produces all kinds of things. Mental illness, addiction, narcissism, shame, self-preservation, self-destruction, and a loss of identity. And finally, head noise produces a cacophony in every area of our life, especially not finding rest, peace, love, and acceptance. So let's tear it down. Let's identify the sickness and the problem and shatter it today. Let's shatter the mold of traditional church the way we know it. God's already done it in me. I'm not a normal pastor. I don't need your money, and I don't need you to be here. I want you to be here because of family, relationship, tribe, community. But I've got an opportunity to make a lot more money elsewhere. But instead, God says, I'm going to take care of you financially so you don't have to stress or freak out or worry or twist everybody's arm and check everybody's giving list so that I would treat you different whether you have money or you don't have money. That's religious dysfunction right there. So let's blow it up and let's deal with the lies of the enemy that are wreaking havoc in our head. We got a, there's a battlefield for your mind and we're going to come against it and we're going to speak some truth to it today and then you're going to get health and you're going to walk out of here saying, you know what, I don't need those pills anymore. I don't need that alcohol anymore. I don't need those drugs anymore. I don't need to chase after other lovers anymore. Think about when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, their CPU was infected with a virus. Their belief system and the way they saw and they, they processed was instantly broken. The Bible says that as soon as they ate from the tree, they, they realized something. They got a realization of something. And that realization was a direct assault on their mind and the way that they processed and thought and saw because they were naked prior and they were there was no shame but as soon as they ate of that of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil they instantly recognized their nakedness and they fell into shame and then what they did was they were afraid so they hid and took control and that's what people do today is they take control of their own lives and you have your own lordship going on instead of God's lordship. But Jesus would reverse the curse, Galatians 3.13, says, cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree. So what would happen is the curse from the garden, the thorns, the thistles, the dying dead tree, what would happen is Jesus would now take a crown of thorns, crucify the intellect, put on a purple robe, which is a picture of a thistle, if you ever look up at thistle, and then he'd go hang on the tree that was the curse, and he would reverse the curse. Woo, yeah, there's a fire on that. That's the gospel. Anybody that acts out doesn't understand the gospel that you just don't understand. It's called ignorance. It's where we get the word agnoi, and we can have Christian agnostics all day long. They have no idea what God's doing, what God's saying, not hearing God's voice, not lit up, not spiritually enlightened. You know, the New Age world has grabbed onto the term of spiritual enlightenment. And the New Age world believes that good and evil are equal. Light and dark are equal. Let me tell you, there's no such thing as spiritual yin-yang in the Bible. And good and evil are not equal. Light is way dark. Light is way more powerful than darkness. There's no windows in this sanctuary. If we turn all the lights off, you're not going to see a thing. But if one person turns on their flashlight or if light's a lighter, whatever they, any form of light, suddenly the whole room will be lit up enough for us all to see it. One little tiny speck of light. So God gives answers and he makes us an answer. 
He calls light out of darkness so that we can be mentally strong and mentally healthy. And so Adam and Eve believed a lie. And as soon as they believed a lie, what did they do? They were afraid, they were ashamed, and then they hid. Let me tell you the same thing is happening today. Here's how it manifests out of relationships. We don't go to the men's groups. We don't go to the women's groups because they're all a bunch of church people or maybe they hurt you in the past or you're not gonna fit in or, or it's a lie that it's not gonna be fun. Let me tell you something. I got, I don't know, 20 plus men going through maximized manhood every Thursday night for three years, starting of just a month or so ago. Three-year commitment. You Men, you can come at any time because I'm out to raise an army of men that are on fire that are living upright in purity because that's what I want my kids to see. We're going to blow this thing up of dysfunctional institutionalized church. And I'm on a mission. It doesn't mean I'm angry at the church down the street either. I'm not comparing myself to Pastor Bill or Pastor Don or Pastor Luis or any of them. I love them. I love what they're doing. They need to, they need to run well, and we need to get unified as a church across this city. But I got a job to do, and I'm out to fulfill Isaiah 42.9. The former things have passed away. You know, the Lord never lets me preach a message exactly the way I preached it before. I'll bring out components of those messages I preached before, but anytime I think, man, I'm just going to re-preach that message, it's like, no, that's yesterday's bread. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that and I'm going to give you, I'm going to open your eyes to new understanding. Every time I read the Bible, it's like reading it for the first time. I'm not kidding you. I can never not open the Bible without experiencing something new or God speaking something new into my life. Because I'm growing and I'm learning and I'm getting new spiritual eyesight. So Adam and Eve fell into the lie of fear, shame, and control. Their CPU is broken and people are hiding in shame, afraid, and not in good relationships. We need community. Church should be a tribe and a community. In fact, the kingdom of God is a community all over the world. And all over the city, we need to get unified. That's why I've chosen to partner up with a, with a committee called the Moral Compass Initiative. And I'm sitting on a board of pastors that are Presbyterian, Lutheran, Methodist, and Nazareth, Nazarene, and Assembly of God. Because we're going to tear down dividing lines, and we're going to get unified as, a unified as a body, and we're going to move past, and we're going to say, I'm called to be a forerunner, and I'm called to blaze a new path as a pioneer. Forerunners and pioneers aren't looking back. We're not Lot's wife. We're not, we don't want to go back to Sodom and Gomorrah, Gomorrah anymore. We're moving forward. We got our hands to the plow because God's doing a new thing. Behold, the former things have passed away. New things I declare. Before they spring into being, I show it to you. That's why we've got to be looking for what God wants to say and what God wants to do. I'm looking 5, 10, 15, 20 years out. It's not just that I want a mega church. What I want is the Lord of the harvest to bring the people in and we expand and infiltrate this city. That's what I want to say. And all, the nations of the world, right? The Bible gives clear patterns of how people's CPUs get broken or infected with the virus, right? Clear patterns. But it all starts with the deceptive serpent in a garden of delight and pleasure. And then over time, it infects all of humanity. So now we're going to find what I would call the anti-venom. The anti-venom is the gospel. The enemy wants to infect people and works hard to do it. And if we've gotten infected, there's good news that actually defeats it. So let's talk about some of that good news today. Luke 6, 45. 
A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. An evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Again, I want you to think of the heart as a CPU. What goes in is what comes out. Think about an abundant heart for a moment. Everybody's got an abundant heart of something. We're always pursuing something in our life. If our heart is abundant with good treasures and good things, that's what's going to flow out. If it's abundant of negative, bitter things, that's what's going to flow out. It's either good treasures of abundance or evil treasures of deception. And I want you to notice how a good or an evil heart manifests itself. It manif- Look at the scripture. It manifests itself out of by what you say. Trust me. You may not even say it, but you think it. And eventually over the time, if you think it, you'll say it. Because as a man thinks in his heart, so he becomes, the Bible says. And then suddenly we start complaining, being negative. We start saying things we should never say. Instead of speaking life and declaring the promises of God's word from the abundance of our heart, we're speaking otherwise. Look at this scripture, Matthew 6, 19 through 23. I love these scriptures. Verse 19 says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust and thieves can break in, destroy, and steal. The premise is is if my treasures are here on earth, they're going to rust, they're going to get stolen, and they're going to get destroyed. In December, I was broken into two times on my street, and very important things were stolen from me. My laptop, my iPad, right out of my vehicle. Somebody tried to break into into my house. Fortunately, I wasn't there with the kids, and my alarm system went off and chased them away. I've had so many things stolen from me over the course of time. I mean, I'm, I've lived enough life to have, unfortunately, too many things taken from me. And I understand that the thief always wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But God has an abundant life for me, John 10, 10. And so my treasure, if it's in heaven, suddenly there's no destruction, there's no thief, and there's no rust but I have to lay up for myself a treasure. Let me tell you about the word lay up and treasure. They're all related, those, those words lay up and treasure. And those words, if you look them up in the Greek, is thesorazo, and it's where we get the word thesaurus. You know what a, th- a thesaurus is? A thesaurus is a dictionary. Many of us know it as a dictionary filled with synonyms and antonyms. And what it really means, though, th- thesaurus really means a storehouse or a treasure chest. That's what it means. And here is the biblical understanding of laying up. It means store, gather, heap up, keep, accumulate, and have a reserve. So that if you run out of gas, you have a reserve tank. You're never actually fully empty. And even when you feel like you're at your end and the world has been bombarding you and the lies of the enemy have been bombarding you, you never run out of gas because you have a reserve. You have treasures stored up. Now, you shouldn't have to get to reserve. You should abundantly be gathering. The mindset of laying up treasures is this mindset. Every day you're gathering something. All your life you're learning, gathering and assimilating information, aren't you? New technology, new iPhones, new laptops. There's so much new stuff that's coming out with technology. And even more so, it's the understanding of every day I'm laying up and gathering the knowledge and understanding about the Lord and who he is. 
So now I have this abundant filled heart that I can draw from because treasure chest means literally a box and a storehouse that is full that I can pull from and my mind is constantly processing accurately. That's what that means. So you're gathering, you're keeping, you're accumulating every day. You store up ideas, thoughts, belief systems, abilities, and understandings. If you have the Zoe life stored up inside of you, being a born-again son or daughter, it leads to contentment, happiness, overflowing abundance of love, faith, and virtual principles in your life. That sounds pretty awesome to me, right? But the opposite of that is bitterness, deception, anger, doubt, disbelief, fear, divorce, and lack of community. It's everything that we see in the world. But God has raised us up to be different than the world. This word also has a very important understanding in computer systems and word processors. There's a thesaurus or an index inside word processors and CPUs. Because it's this. It's the comprehensive list of subjects concerning which information may be retrieved by using the power of proper key terms. So keystrokes, code, all of those things access a database inside of us, right? So God wants you to have a treasure chest where you can access spiritual life. Let me break it down for you spiritually. Here's spiritually speaking. An accurate index of key terms and information stored in your heart, which results in a treasure chest that's full of life that you can draw meaning and subject matter and find definition in. And too many people don't have good definition. Their identity is wrapped up in all the lies of the world or the lies of your past. Mistakes that you've made, failures you've made, poor decisions that you've made. And the great news is God never defines you based on your past. He always looks forward to your future. So I have so many people that come to me, they get fired up, they walk away, they make poor choices and they come back. And there's this subtle feeling that I'm gonna look at them like, man, you really screwed up. I can't believe that you did that. And there's this little bit of guilt and shame. I said, thank God you're back. Yeah. Let's start moving forward. The past is behind you. Repent, ask the Lord to forgive you. Let's pick yourself up and go forward. Amen? So I know this is a little intense, and I'm moving pretty fast because I have some great news to give you. But first, I want to help you understand how people can become so mental. You know, the Bible gives a very good picture and understanding of how mental illness sets in. I'm always reminded of what I'm about to show you. When I know somebody's getting mental or they believe warped, jacked up belief systems. And it comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 19. Now recognize and remember that Ephesians was a church that was started in the mass of incredible spiritual warfare. In the church of Ephesus was the temple of Artemis or the temple of Diana. The whole city was built around idolatry, New Age, magicians, and witchcraft. You had Jewish sorcerers and Jewish mind readers that were trying to cast out devils. I mean, it was a city filled with spiritual warfare. That's why I define the book of Ephesians as our battle strategy book. It's filled with understanding of how to unite, conquer, and bring, bring life to the world around us. And so Ephesians 4, 17. I want you to notice the pattern this morning. This is a powerful pattern. I'm going to break it down for you. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. 
The premise here is that Gentiles, the word Gentile means a foreign nation. All of us were once Gentiles. When we get born again, God brings us into a new nation called the kingdom of God. You're no longer a foreigner. When you were once orphaned, you now become adopted. Now you're in a new family once you get born again. The premise of this scripture is we no longer walk the way the world walks. Gentiles is another way to say it is the way that the world is. So after I got out of prison, I went straight back to Miami. I didn't have any church. I didn't have any Christian friends. And all my friends that I knew that I had from the past were wanting to smoke, drink, party, and hit up the clubs. And I thought, you know what? I want to influence them. I want to bring change to their life. I need friends. I need community. So I started going to the clubs. I started partying with them. But every time I went to the clubs and the, and the parties, my eyes were different. And now I could see the difference between the dark and the light, and I didn't want anymore. And it took some time. And thank God I didn't have a bunch of crazy religious Christians beating me up, beating me down, and hitting me over the head with weird religion. I had people that loved me, and my eyes were being transformed to understand that wasn't who I was anymore, and I didn't want that anymore. And so I finally had to make a decision that on Friday and Saturday night when all my friends were going out, and in Miami, we went out till 5 in the morning on South Beach. My night didn't even start till midnight. We started going out at midnight and partied all night long. And there I am, born again, Christian, no good community, having to fight the good fight of faith on my own, and instead I'm turning the corner light on reading my Bible at 9 o'clock on a Friday night. I made the decision to say I can no longer walk the way that the world is walking. When everybody is going one way and your identity used to be wrapped up in the clubs, the money, the party, the drinking, the sex, and all those other things, you make the decision to say I'm not going to walk that way anymore. And it starts by getting born again and then saying, I want to live for Jesus. And then he gets you into process and you get a family around you to help you. That's what this is about. So he says, don't walk anymore the way that the world walks in the futility of their mind. The word futility means moral depravity and, uh, and vanity. It means transientness. How many of you know what a transient is? Okay, a transient is somebody that never settles. They're always on the move. And so what happens is that people become transients in their mind. They never settle on on faith or they never experience love and confidence in who the Lord is. And so they never position themselves to stick with it, but they just keep on moving on. We go to church, we keep on moving on in our own way. We hear the word, we keep on moving on. And we never settle and we never satisfy. And we're never satisfied. This is especially prevalent with our children. If we don't teach our children early on to settle on the love and the power and the beauty of God by example, they'll become transients. And if we don't love them, and it doesn't mean that sometimes kids don't spin out because I know parents that are Christian that did their best. But what I'm telling you is you've got to train a child up in the way they should go so that when they're older, they won't depart. And the best way I know to do that is to not be a transient in my own mind. I've got to be settled in my mind not in the futility of my mind. It means that I need to be morally righteous, not morally deprived. The next thing is, this is a pattern, I'm gonna break it down for you, is that once you become a transient in your mind and you never settle on true love, 
you start looking for love in all the wrong places. You'll sleep with whoever, you'll drink whatever, you'll party with whoever. These are the decisions that are made when you don't find true love in your heart. You start looking for love in all the wrong places and you're singing the song. Seriously, you'll chase after all these other lovers until you finally make the decision to settle on the one that fully satisfies. Then your understanding becomes darkened. To have a darkened mind is this. The word darkened in the Greek is the word skotizo, and it's directly related to the word schizo, which is where we get schizophrenic. The word schizophrenia means split-minded. It means that suddenly in your mind, which by the way, let me define mind for you. Your mind is interchangeable with the word soul. Your mind is your ability to perceive, understand, interpret feeling, judge accurately, and make healthy determinations. It's your intellectual faculty. It's your ability to reason and your capacity to recognize spiritual truth. It's how you interpret God's word. So when God speaks to you, how does he speak to you, in your spirit or in your soul? He speaks spirit to spirit, the Bible says. When you're born again, you're born again in your spirit. But then the Holy Spirit goes to work on your soul realm. Ever met an addicted Christian? Ever met an angry Christian? They, they believe, but they're in their soul realm. They're not renewed. They're not refined. They're not transformed by the Holy Spirit. So Christians can spin out when you're not looking into the perfect law of liberty, understanding who God is, finding your identity inside of him. We spin out. And it's in our mind that we interpret what we're hearing in our spirit. Many of you are you're interpreting everything I'm saying to you right now in your soul realm. So what he's saying is, is don't walk in the futility of your mind where in turn your, your understanding becomes schizo, it becomes split. And then you get darkness in your mind. It's a, it's a covering that is an ability, gives you an inability to see. And that's what the devil wants to do. If you've had massive religious and church dysfunction in your past, man, I have a great obstacle to overcome with you. Because it's the natural tendency is to look at religion and Christianity through the lens. If you were raised with a denomination, you can have that denominational lens. If you were always Catholic, you can have a Catholic lens or a Baptist lens on your mind. And the only way that we process God is through that lens. That's why you got to get a new lens, right? And so God changes your vision so that you can see accurately. So the next thing that happens is after your understanding gets darkened and you become split-minded, you then get alienated from the life of God. To be alienated from the life of God is to not be born again and to not have the Holy Spirit and to make the choice to I'm moving on. I don't believe I got to be born again to get to heaven, somebody says. Why do I have to make that? I'm a Christian. I just don't believe in that born again stuff. That's a dumb dichotomy. It doesn't make any sense. You can't be a Christian without being born again. And so to be alienated, you know what it means to be alienated? It means to be estranged. It means you become, an, it's like an estranged lover. It's like two people that are married that are just cohabitating and don't really love each other, and, but they're really just estranged from each other. That's not how God wants marriage to be and not how God wants us to live. So after we don't settle, our understanding becomes darkened, we become alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. We become Christian agnostics. You know what a Christian agnostic is? <clears throat> ignorance is the word agnoi. It's where we get the word agnostic. I believe there's Christian agnostics. Here's what they are. 
I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe he interacts in my life every day. I believe that the Lord just spun the world like a top. Hurricanes and tornadoes, all of that's just going to happen, and God does not actively intervene in our everyday life. The Lord doesn't actually speak to us. We just have to read his Bible, and we just have his Logos word, not his Rhema word. I don't believe that. I believe he's a good father that wants to lead me every day. I'm his son, and I can be spirit-led, Romans 8, 14, every day of my life. And so Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know. They're agnostic. They don't know what the master's doing, but I now call you a friend. Let's say he calls me a friend. If I'm born again. And I know some universalists aren't going to like that. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't love everybody. But to come into an intimate understanding of friendship with the Lord requires us surrendering and laying down our life. Okay? It requires us to come to the cross. And so when the understanding gets darkened, we get alienated, and then we become ignorant. We become agnostic. And then what happens, the last thing I want to show you is you get blind in your heart. The word blind in the Greek is where we get the word petrified. It's the word petrified. It means that our heart then slowly over time gets hard and we get paralysis in our heart. And once we get a hard heart, the only answer is to be to get a new heart. And the good news is, is even if you get to that place, God can give you a new heart. Then you just move past feeling. I don't feel love anymore. I don't feel like I love my spouse anymore. Let me tell you something about not feeling like you love your spouse anymore. <clears throat> Actions produce feelings. Actions produce feelings. When we first fell in love, oh, man. We had rose-colored glasses on. Our spouse could do no wrong. We were hugging and kissing and romantic. Five years, ten years, babies, life happens, all kinds of stuff happens. We're at each end of the couch scowling at each other in the counseling session. I don't feel like I love, I just don't feel it anymore. Actions produce feelings, guys. There was an action that produced the feeling to begin, to begin with. And you know what the Bible says about that? It says, we love him because he first loved us. And you didn't do anything to deserve it. He just loved you so much that when you didn't believe and you were so far gone that Christ gave his life, Romans 5. So he first loved you and demonstrated that love. And then you went, oh my gosh, the Lord really does love me so much that when I burnt every bridge, when I've destroyed everything, when my whole life was once ashes, when I was angry, mad, and living in dysfunction, Jesus came to my aid and my rescue. And now I'm so in love because he loves me so much. That's the goodness of the Lord. You know what the word past feeling means? It means apathetic. You know what it means to become apathetic? It means I reject it. I reject. Here's a good example of apathy. If you were raised in a charismatic, spirit-filled church, and I say to you, I believe everybody should, if you were raised in a church that was dysfunctional, charismaniac church, and I say to you, I believe everybody should pray in tongues, and yes, this is a tongue-talking church, oh man, walls can go up in a second. You know how many people try to identify our church as the tongue-talking church? I hear it all the time. Oh, you go to that tongue-talking church? Oh, you believe in tongues? <laughs> what happens is, is where there's abuse and misuse, there becomes disuse. So we throw out because of spiritual dysfunction when somebody tried to pressure you to pray in tongues or be baptized in the Holy Ghost, and we had a warped understanding, and we had all kinds of religious weirdos pressuring us, stressing us, and putting all kinds of religious stuff on us, then what do we do? We throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
but we forget that the Bible gives us truth. So to move past feelings, I just don't feel it anymore. I don't feel God. I don't feel his presence. I don't feel like he loves me. I don't need a spiritual encounter. Yeah, you do. You need a lightning strike. Because listen, check this out. Paul, check, out, check this out. Paul was, was killing Christians, and he was on his way to Damascus to put him in chains and bring him back so that they could be tortured and destroyed. And, and he was way past what almost, I don't think anybody here is chasing Christians down. There might be a secret covert atheist or satanic satanist here and that's okay i'm glad you're here because i love you jesus the light and the power so much greater paul is saul is on his way to damascus and god lightning strikes him god wants you to have a touch from his presence some of you get so dry and you become apathetic because of things you've experienced and god wants to rock you and transform you with his love and his power isn't that so good and then I don't, even, I don't even want to go into the rest of Scripture because it's just bad news from there. It just says once you get to this place, you start spinning out of control. Lewdness, greediness, everything the world represents. So I would say that this is a very good definition of how people get mental, wouldn't you? Now, I don't have every answer. You take the word that I'm giving you and you go breathe life on it. Go water the seed that I'm planting into you today. Get some understanding in your life. Here's some good news. Ephesians 4.20 through 24. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him. Everybody, please say this with me. Say learned, learned heard, heard, and been taught. By who? If we're not hearing his voice, becoming students of Christ, where we're being taught, and learning, if you're not in school full-time every day, something else is becoming your master. I just want to get you back in school. I want to get you back into proper alignment and education so you can be learned and taught what the truth is. Verse 22, everybody say, put off. Put off. We've got to make a decision to put off the former conduct and the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful loss, and here is a wonderful scripture for an answer to mental illness, verse 23. I love this scripture because I love the word spirit. Do you know that there's a spirit of your mind? The word spirit in the Greek is the word pneuma, which is the word breath, which means instead of me hearing all kinds of noises and spiritual cacophony, wheels are grinding around, I can't find any peace, suddenly... I'm renewed, which means to be made new, even better than before. I'm constantly in the process. Think treasure chest, everyday gathering, learning, growing. Then my mind gets renewed by the breath of God and what I'm processing and telling myself. Spirit is breath, which is where you get words and voices. And let me just forewarn you right now, when you start telling people you hear God's voice, somebody's going to think you're crazy. But I'll be a fool for Christ because I know that Jesus talks. He wants to talk to you. So you got to be renewed to the spirit of your mind. And so my real end goal here to combat it is, one, get a heart transplant. And number two, let's get your CPU fixed. And then number three, let's get you out of head noise and mental cacophony so that you don't have to keep 
spinning out on drugs, alcohol, movies every night. You got to have something else to draw your attention. Do you know that there's some people that can't even be in their house and they've gotten healed from this in this church without noise on? If there's not a TV or a radio, their head spins out. Some of you probably might be like that. But what I want to do is bring you to a place of perfect alignment and peace with the Holy Spirit so you can be reminded of who he is. I love verse 24. Everybody say, put on. Here's the mindset is I put off, I put on, and I renew. Put, on, put off, put on, and I renew. I put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off, put on, and renew. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to break down Romans 1, 20 through 21. And verse 28, I'd encourage you to write that down and study it later. Let me tell you about one scripture, though, in that passage. It says that when people suppress the truth and their understanding becomes darkened and ultimately they choose to go their own way, it says that God gives them over to a debased mind. I've taught on this before, but I want to break it down for you. It doesn't mean that God gives you up. The word give over to a debased mind, debased is the word perverted. You can pull it up, Romans 1.28. The understanding is perverted, and all of us were perverted before we came to know Jesus. Some a little, some a lot. Perverted simply doesn't mean, it doesn't necessarily mean you're a pervert. It perverted means I got sideways from the truth, okay? And so it means that God yields. He says, look, if you're going to keep choosing to go your own way, I'm going to yield, but it doesn't mean he doesn't stop pursuing and loving you. It means that God always comes after you, no matter how much we choose to go our own way. So anytime you choose to come back, arms are open. There's no, you made your bed now lying. You may have screwed up a thousand times. You never give up and you keep coming back. You keep coming back to the Lord because let me tell you something. If this was a competition on who sinned the most, I think I would win. Now, some of you may be like, man, you don't know, Pastor, what I've done. Let me tell you something. I've done things I don't even want to name. Horrible things I've never told you. And I don't even remember those things. It's not that I can't think of them if I really tried, but it means that God wipes them away in my past by the blood, and and all those things are, are now behind me. And the only time they come back to my mind is in the context of rescuing somebody and saying, oh, you know what, I... I have been through that, and man, let me tell you, I've, I've did that, done that before, and I can understand. But the understanding here is that God completely forgives, heals, restores, wipes away your past, and brings you to a place where you can completely become a new man, and you don't have to live in all your failures and mistakes of your past. That's the beauty of it. So you guys come back, you messed up, you screwed up. Instead of me kicking you while you're down, I empower you and speak life to you. And sometimes that mean, may mean me saying, you know what, right now is not the best time for you to be volunteering or serving. Just enjoy the Lord. Let's get you healthy again. And at the right time, God will put you back into where he wants you to be. And so God yields, but he's always waiting for you to come back. Okay? So you can read that scripture in Romans. A big part of this message came from this scripture. And I'm going to leave you with this and one other thing. 2 Corinthians 10 three through six, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. The word war in the Greek is the word strategy. 
That's what it means. It means even though I'm in the flesh, I'm not living, walking, or warring according to the flesh patterns. My battle strategy comes from heaven. Let's say that together. Our battle strategy comes from heaven. So we're singing today, heaven is all around us. I believe that. I don't believe that's just nice, hyped-up words. I believe God wants to bring heaven to earth. I believe heaven is here right now. I believe heaven wants to invade your heart. I believe God hovered over the void of the darkness of the deep, and he commanded light out of darkness, and he said, let there be light. And I believe God is hovering over the void of our hearts right now, wanting to call the light out of your life and transform you into a new creation. So I don't war. My battle strategy is not according to the flesh. For the weapons of my warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty in God to pull down strongholds. What kind of strongholds? Pause right there on verse 4. We're talking spiritual warfare. What kind of strongholds did God give us weapons to fight against? I'm going to show you. Verse 5. Arguments in your head and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So arguments, exalting things against the knowledge of God and attacks on your thought life, on the truth. So the weapons I have are so that I can believe right, live right, think right, and become something that in turn passes it on to you and transforms the world around me. First I become, then I do. He does it in you, then he does it through you. God wants a lightning strike your heart, guys. Get past religion. I know I'm preaching long. I know I'm giving you a lot of stuff, but I only get you for a short time, so I'm giving you all I got. I got a whole life to give this to you, okay? What I'm telling you is God wants to transform your life and give you the weapons of warfare. And the weapons of our warfare are designed to take all the thoughts and the head noise into captivity. Now, I love this scripture. I want to show you this one scripture, verse 6. Being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. What does that mean? The word punish in in the Greek is the word for vengeance. Not in a sense that I'm a vengeful, spiteful guy, but here's what it means. It means that when I come into alignment and start living right, believing right, thinking right, and taking thoughts into captivity, everything I ever did that was wrong, gets, I get justice on that. And everything that was ever done wrong to me gets justice. Vengeance means to bring justice, not anger and spite. It means that we get vindicated. I hate some of the things I did in the past, but you know what? I've been vindicated. It's like the story some of you heard today, heard me say that I got out of prison, went to my, you're like, man, he went to prison. But what you haven't heard in my testimony is that 10 years later, I went right before the the same judge in a courtroom filled with people, told my testimony, and he wiped my record clean. You can do a background check. It's not even on there. That's called, listen, that's called punishing all my disobedience, vengeance, justice, came and vindicated me from my past. Yeah! See, shame will keep you stuck in your past and you'll continue to feel punished by it. But now when you come into proper alignment of who you're destined to be, you will actually punish that. You'll put an end to all that dysfunction from your past. Isn't that awesome? 
I'm not going to go through Philippians 4, 5 through 9. Take that home. If you're listening uh, by audio today, I want to encourage you to read Philippians 4, 5 through 9. It talks about the peace of God guarding your heart and mind. It talks about meditating on things that are just, pure, noble, lovely, and of a good report. It talks about thinking about things that are virtuous and praiseworthy, and then meditating. Not meditating like a new ager, meditating, regurgitating, processing, and thinking about things that are healthy, right, and full of life, not all the darkness and dysfunction. Because the devil, the devil wants you to focus on your problems. You don't have enough money. The spiritual life was never determined on money. In fact, if you can learn to trust God when you're living paycheck to paycheck or about to get evicted and don't know where your next meal's coming from, there's a powerful testimony in that. I lived there. Baked beans on the floor. I mean, I was eating franks and beans and didn't have a table. I had burned down my first marriage. My ex-wife left me. I couldn't even afford a McDonald's cheeseburger. She was having affairs, left me with thousands of dollars of bills and stole the car. And drove back to Miami while I was supposed to be going to Oral Roberts University. I'm sitting on the floor eating a can of baked beans. Saying, Jesus, I trust you. Because the Lord said, if you'll, if you'll honor me in, in this, I'll get you out of it. So instead of being angry and bitter and at God and shaking my fess and fighting the way that the world fights, I said, I surrender. And I cried and cried and cried. But I knew that the shadow of death was just something I was passing through. I knew it then. You can do this. this. That was a word for somebody right now. I felt that. Somebody right now just got encouraged by that. God's not going to forsake you. We sang today that he's faithful when we're faithless. Do you believe it or not? Sometimes you feel faithless, but God's given you a treasure chest to fight with. So when I'm laying in bed at night, and I've spun out and spoken appropriately to my wife, and I got frustrated with my kids because they woke me up way too early, and they were grumpy all day long. When I acted out, when I had employees act out, when equipment broke, when the, the bank account ran empty, and I have to go to bed at night, I got peace in my heart. This isn't unattainable for you. I'm not the only one. I'm not super mighty, high and mighty pedestal pastor. This is for the body of Christ. And if you can start to believe again, if you can take hold of what I'm teaching you today and start to renew the spirit of your mind, break the pattern by settling. I want you to settle. If it's not with Rock City, find a home and a family and a community. But always settle on Jesus and his word and, and get the proper interpretation and understanding by spending time with the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says that no interpretation is of your own. It only comes from the Holy Spirit. That's how you break doctrinal dysfunction. And you do it with authority. And instead of just quoting scripture, you become it. Now I own the message because I am the message. Yeah. You are the message. This isn't religious duty. You become something great. You walk out of these doors and you rock your kids. You can love better. You don't have any right to be angry and bitter anymore. Jesus crucified anger and bitterness on the cross. 
I don't have any right to be angry. My dad, multimillionaire dad, left me when I was one. I send him pictures of the kids. I email him. I've called him. No response. Nothing to do. Wants nothing to do with me. Multimillionaire in Beverly Hills. Look up the name on Google. Same name as mine. But you know what? I love him, and I've forgiven him, for he knows not what he does, and I fully released him. And I'm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep sending pictures, and I'm going to keep calling. And I'm going to love the best that I know to love. You know why? Because guess what? I got another daddy. And my inheritance from him blows millions of dollars on earth out of the water. Yeah! Woo! Let's all stand. You have been listening to a message from David Bindet, Senior Pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life, and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening, and until next time, stay fired up.